0: today our guest Robert Van is truly a rare human being
1: I when I had this rock bottom experience it's like I want a complete change I'm gonna go do something super wild and I'm gonna to move to Israel alone so you're getting 30 60 100 200 people joining and asking for recordings you know can you put something on YouTube for sleep or I'm worrying about my finances or I'm worried about my health and afraid of dying. Can you do something for that?
0: What a beautiful vision. This is pure human alchemy.
1: That's enough. Like, you know, deep down you're acting with integrity and then you no longer need external validation. Did
0: pasna or plant medicines find you or did you find them?
1: Hmm, that's an interesting one.
0: Hello, first-time founders. My name is Stacey. And I'm Maria. And we are the hosts of the Dear First-Time Founders podcast. Through the conversations with our incredible founders, we will talk about their journey of navigating the two F-words in Silicon Valley, fear and failure. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Maria Sipka, and welcome back to Dear First Time Founders podcast, where we sit down to have an intimate conversation with our multiple-time founders. Today, our guest, Robert Bent, is truly a rare human being who challenges himself to the edge time and again to embark on an inner journey of exponential growth. Spoiler alert, Robbie, just emerged from a dark retreat, eight days living in a cave in isolation and darkness, dopamine fasting, which we'll hear a little bit about. At 36, Robert has already founded three companies. Roamly was his first, a virtual SIM card marketplace, and the technology that powered Roam Like Home. His second company, Envy Energy, enabled faster adoption of the internet of things by solving battery life issues. And in the past year, he founded Inward, a global community to improve mental health. And somewhere in between, he invested four years with the Ethereum Foundation, building communities, improving the Ethereum experience, and helping partners find sustainable business models. What we're going to talk about today is first Robert's entrepreneurial journey and what led him to founding his current company, Inward. Secondly, Does an entrepreneur need to be close to the edge or over the edge to embark on an inner journey? And finally, what has he learned from some of the edge practices such as Vipassana meditation, ice baths and dopamine fasting in dark caves? So Robert, let's start out with your story. Who are you and what inspires you?
1: Yeah, that's a really good, good way to start. Big question. I appreciate the intro. That was that was awesome. Uh, so I think what's inspired me on my journey was primarily struggles I had. And so, you know, making a long story short, um, one of my, you know, we mentioned core wounds before, and one of those was I'm not good enough or I'm not lovable or I need to achieve to be lovable. And so for a lot of A-type <laughs> people, you find them really, really working hard to get success from external validation. And so that was sort of the story of my life until I went on a a more of an inward growth journey. And as a result of that, um, you know, that like validation seeking, I was in a bunch of careers that that didn't necessarily work for me. The first was in finance. The second was building uh, a business like completely for money, going the VC route, not really caring about uh, the customer or the result, but more like, hey, how can I be successful and show that I'm successful. Uh, at the same time, I also struggled with, you know, uh, lust for material things and, and drug problems, um, related to ADHD. And so it was just in this place of non happiness and like really grasping and, and searching for stimulation. And so to deal with that, you know, kind of hit a rock bottom place which led me to seek out uh, transformational experiences. However, I didn't know they were transformational at the time. But, but sort of through luck, I ended up in a vipassana retreat, which led to a daily meditation practice, learning about psychedelic medicines, psychedelic medicine retreats, sobriety, uh, and then as a result of those things, you know, I found I found immense amount of of both happiness and and success. And due to that. I really wanted to teach people or help people. I saw through meditation and psychedelic medicines, these things basically saved my life. And then when combining them with, you know, an amazing fiance, a loving relationship, feeling safe uh, and a supportive community, I found like that led to happiness and thought it could be relatable, scalable for others. And so that sort of led to this idea. The reason why I left the Uh, Ethereum Foundation was like, could I build something that at scale helps people make life transformations? And that's sort of how I got inspired. And it was just kind of, you know, how did I solve my own problem? And are there others out there like me that could benefit from from access to these practices?
0: It's extraordinary that through those painful experiences, so much opportunity to serve um, emerged did these practices, such as vipassana or plant medicines, find you, or did you find them?
1: Hmm, that's an interesting one. I think there was ever ever since high school, I had an interest in altered states of of consciousness. So you know, my thesis project in high school was on meditation, and this is in in like two thousand and two. So you know, there's there's no apps. There's not a lot of books. There's not yoga studios aren't even really a thing at the time. And I remember my mom thinking, wow, this is like super weird. Why are you interested in this stuff? And I would go through these like classified ads looking for uh, kind of different practices and where I grew up in Guelph. Um, So it was always kind of an an interest. And I had a practice, you know, 10 minutes a day that then became a headspace practice. And then sort of randomly, I would say the Vipassana found me. So I was living in Israel Uh, alone. And this is so where, you know, I was listening to a lot of Tim Ferriss stuff at the time. And when I had this rock bottom experience, I was like, I want a complete change. I'm going to go do something super wild and I'm going to move to Israel alone. And I'm I'm not Jewish. I don't speak Hebrew. And so I was out there and instead of coming home over Christmas, I realized that, hey, I could, you know, actually do a Vipassana. And and how I'd learned about it was I was just out at a, a bar a few months earlier and I was talking about headspace and somebody was like, Oh man, like, you know, if you're into meditation, you need to try this thing and told me about it. It sort of resonated like, Whoa, that's cool. And I think it resonated with me mostly the challenge piece. And so something like a core value of mind when I hit rock bottom was like, okay, if I can do really difficult things and achieve them, I can prove that I'm, I'm not afraid. Because I had a lot of fear in my life, like growing up, fear of failure, fear of rejection, these things like manifesting. And so I kind of said to myself, okay, if I can conquer fears and do hard things, I'm not going to be scared again, or I'm going to be more resilient. And so for a period of time, which would just change now, but I would push myself to do these things that were difficult. And that was the initial, you know, kind of why I wanted to do the the Vipassana. And, and so in some ways it, it found me I guess and like if I hadn't had that conversation at that bar would that have been the decision I had made possibly not so there's always kind of a mix and do you find something and something find you I think
0: yeah when the student is ready the teacher appears when the teacher is ready the student appears and I just love the relationship that you have with fear you 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 got cozy with your fear very early on and you used it to your advantage. So I want to shift gears into your entrepreneurial journey because I really feel as entrepreneurs, they are tremendous catalysts for growth and for change. It's where we can really push ourselves to the edge. So tell us about your first company, Romely. What was your inspiration to start this company and uh, how was your company building journey?
1: Yeah. So being totally like vulnerable and transparent, I had left finance where I was working at a hedge fund and an investment bank prior. And the only reason I had done that was because I thought, Hey, this is what, you know, this is the pinnacle of success. And that was because I went to business school and I did that because, you know, I saw my dad was successful and I thought I want to be successful. And the time when I went to university in 2002, there wasn't uh, engineering startups like there wasn't so much opportunity like there is today and so i didn't even think about what do i actually want to do and so when i left finance during the credit crisis in two thousand eight oh nine, 9 i was like okay i still want to be really successful but like what are the other options and i kind of looked at, at startups and thought okay this is the way to become successful quickly and like super naive approach right like not understanding how difficult it is, what style of risk it is. And like, even the project I chose was in Toronto without a support system building a hardware company. Like looking back on that and knowing what I know now, the chance of that succeeding is like basically zero. And so we built something super complex, which I'm, I'm actually really proud of that we're even able to raise the money and build like a global telecom system. So it was a operating system on a SIM card that allowed us to provision wirelessly uh, local identity so like an AT&T or Vodafone identity depending on where you traveled and then we were selling to business people to reduce roaming fees so that was sort of the wedge to provide like a global sim card which is you know now Google Fi and so we built the billing system the courier grade system and we used angels to raise funds we would do that kind of a man in the middle approach where we would give them a global sim and when they would travel like another company's kind of sim card and when they would travel it would say they'd get a text, like you just say $500 on a you know voice call. And they'd be like, holy shit. And at this time, roaming was insane. Like it was like five bucks for one meg of data. So you would come back from vacation and have a 2000 or $5,000 bill. And so people understood, wow, like there's 90% savings here. And so kind of got into that with a technical co-founder who had the idea. And I thought like, you know what, I'm smart. I can raise funds for this. I can lead sales. I can build a team. Like, you know, I've done finance. I know how to do this. Like, couldn't be further from the truth and just kind of went at it all day, every day for, for four years. And at the time, I didn't know anything about like lean and the concept of lean. And so I was like, oh, this has to be in every phone. It has to work in every country. And I had no help. So I was just trying to do it on my own. And then you realize how much you don't know. Like the first time, my first time hiring somebody, like what does a job interview look like? How are you assessing if they're good? Like what roles do you even need in this company? So, like, how do we structure the team, you know? And then my thought was, well, I don't know what I'm doing, so can we get some senior people? Huge mistake. So hired people from, like, a very senior telecom company uh, in Canada who had 7,000 people working for them in a, you know, 10-person environment. And all of a sudden, the budget's exploding. We're hiring all these people. I don't know what people are doing. And we're building something that's just, like, way too much money versus building for, for product market fit. Like, the reality is we could have built something, you know, for Toronto customers with an iPhone 4 going to the UK and started with that and like mastered that product before adding features and having it work in every country. And so it's just really interesting that I didn't know any of those concepts. And so you kind of have to, as a first time founder, figure these things out on their own. And so something I learned from that is, you know, now when I want to do something, find the best three people in the world at that thing, and I'll talk to them, I'll interview them for two hours, like for anything, if I'm going to build something as simple as a website. I'm going to build a platform. If I'm going to lead an SEO strategy and marketing, I'll find people who know what they're doing and talk to them because when it, you know, everything is specific to your business, but when you go into a category, usually you can like figure out a lot of the red flags in advance. And if I had done that uh, back then, you know, I would have saved $25 million in building out this crazy system.
0: I love that. So there's a few things there. First is the intentionality that you give into a venture very much determines the outcome. So if you don't embark on a path with the purest intentions, truly knowing who you are, then it often comes and bites you on the butt, whether it be with friendships, whether it be with companies. Would you say that that is also a reflection Is to really question why am I doing this?
1: I think you, and so this happened to me a couple of times, but I think the difference, like it can still be successful. I have many friends who've started something to make money and and they've been successful. I think the issue becomes, if you want to build something you care about, things are are likely to go wrong at some point. And when they do go wrong, how much do you care? And like, what is your life like? And so in this roaming solution, like, to be honest, I don't, I don't care about roaming. I never did. And so, you know, those second two years when things are going wrong, because we spent way too much money building the platform and the prices have declined 90% and we're just trying to survive. Like I have, I wake up and like three investors are calling me like what's going on, you know, vendors are calling that They haven't been paid. I'm negotiating like a a bridge loan to keep us going. I have to fire employees. It's, it's like terrible, like just a terrible feeling. And then there's this like incessant fear around you're going to fail. You're going to fail. What are you going to do for money? What about your parents and friends that have invested? It's like just this feeling of sickness every day. And so, you know, I I look at my venture now, which I'm building legitimately to help people that have the same problem I did where I can be out in the sauna and we we can talk about that after. But, you know, guiding someone, facilitating somebody through a class and it's like pure joy seeing the smile on their face. And so if something goes wrong here, which at some point it will, you can use that customer experience, that customer joy, that care for the customer to power you through. And so if you don't have that, when you start, it just becomes very, very challenging. And then the second point there, which happened to me as well, you know, I worked at the Ethereum Foundation for four years and it was like a beautiful experience, amazing people. And this choice I made because I wanted to be around the smartest people in the world. Instead of choosing money, I said like, okay, well, what are people that I'm inspired by doing? And so- I chose that and I worked there for four years and amazing, amazing experience. But at the end of the day, the product itself, I wasn't as attached to as what I'm doing now. And so I made a change to something that like, I feel is a part of me. And as a result, because it's a part of me, it's very easy for me to see myself working on this for 10 or, or 20 years and how that evolves and continuing to make products that help people become more healthy and happy. And so when that mission really resonates with you, you have the power, you have the staying power, which means you're more likely to succeed because you're going to spend much more time in that space. And so over time, benefits accrue to you exponentially, right? Like when you're always jumping to new and different things, it becomes very difficult to establish like industry experience, network, all these things. So just really think there's a lot of power for people who think, one, you know, I care about this customer deeply to power you through the challenges. And then two, I can be in this for the long haul because this is a a part of me.
0: Do you believe that as human beings, we need to embark on that rite of passage and stumble and fall to discover our mission, discover our purpose, so that whatever, however, that ends up translating in the form of a company or whether you're part of a foundation. Is that just something that we as human beings need to go on a journey to arrive at that point? Or reflecting on your own journey, are there some shortcuts that we can take?
1: Oh, another really good question. So, yeah, you know, I'd put it back on you as I don't think there's a life out there that doesn't have stumbles. And so for me, it just happened to be you know, in my twenties with the company, but for many, it can, you know, even for people who are super successful, okay, after their first company successful, what do they do next? And then they get in this thing of like, okay, I've sold my company. Am I important? What should I do now? Who's relying on me? I'm sure it happens all the time with, with athletes, you know, with different people. And so I just think any life is a set of stumbles and failures. And even for the most successful people, they've faced failure, rejection, when they were starting out. So I think every life, and, and that's just like talking about career success. There's also like, obviously relationships in your community, your family life growing up. Um, what's your relationship to money? Like everybody faces failure and rejection. It's just, it's part of, of life. And so I, I don't even think you really have a choice. I think these failures and rejections throughout your life will make you who you are from, you know, the day you're born to the day you die.
0: I want to jump to your most recent company because I feel like the journey that you've been on, not only building a company now, you're creating community spaces for people to feel truly connected to who they are and how they show up in the world. So let's just fast track to inward and tell us about that journey. What catalyzed that journey and how is it unfolding for you?
1: Yeah, and so as I, as I mentioned, like sobriety was a struggle and, and this experience at Romley kind of left me at, at rock bottom where after four years, the company ended up failing and I had to let everybody go and I was just in a really, really tough place. And as a result of that, I moved to Israel, got into Vipassana, got into psychedelic medicines, found sobriety, met my fiance, joined Ethereum. And then- I was in like a two year, (laughs) two year year window from like rock bottom to, wow, I feel amazing. And I was kind of reflecting on like, why do I feel so amazing? And it's because I had like the support of somebody, you know, in my life, which is like one of the most important things for me to be healthy and then uh, a daily mindfulness practice. And then, you know, the, the psychedelic medicine sort of gave me the power courage to change a lot of these habits. So I kind of looked at that system And while I was at Ethereum, I wanted to teach others. And so we'd have morning meditations at work. I would write about my experiences and share them. I would lead psychedelic medicine experiences for friends. And I just over a four-year period struggled to get a lot of traction. And so I found in teaching meditation, the feedback cycle is quite long. And I just didn't have the skill to like get my friends at their starting point into this. And so a lot of them are like lawyers and bankers and kind of, you know, you mentioned spirituality, and they're sort of allergic to that term. And it's just like the standard mainstream person. And so it's like, okay, how do I, how do I like help these people? And, or how do I get them to feel like, like I am? So, you know, we started out, we were going to bathhouses like every week. I've probably been to 70 bathhouses in Berlin and San Francisco. I was working for Ethereum and, and groups of 40 people would join at these conferences. And, and the experience would be amazing. Nobody would be on their phone. Everyone would be chatting. For some reason, there was this connection happening. So I moved back to toronto my water wouldn't go cold enough in my house so i just d- did a do-it-yourself built an ice bath in my backyard like found the plans online had a had a team come and like help me out we spent a weekend building this ice bath and me and my friends my partners from inward every night at first would just meet in the backyard and we'd host groups and so you know five people seven people nine people ice bath with a guided meditation so you could sit in it for two, three, four minutes and then a campfire and then everyone would share. From that, uh, a community formed, you know, 100, 200 people in a WhatsApp chat. What? This is crazy. Like people love this, this thing, right? And it's like extremely social. And so he started doing a ton of research, read every research paper on it, Rhonda Patrick stuff, Peter Atia stuff, Wim Hof stuff. And started realizing it can be used for meditation. Like it's a really great way to increase the neuropinephrine in the brain, which is a neurotransmitter responsible for mood, attention, vigilance. So physiologically, it brings you into a meditative state. So for people who are struggling, this was kind of the perfect onboarding with immediate feedback. So it starts getting cold. And we look at my garage and we're like, okay, let's convert the garage to like an underground space and put in an ice bath design the whole space, make it look and feel like a Soho house or like a really great hospitality space. You're kind of going like, whoa, this is cool, right? Like you come in, music playing is awesome. There's essential oils hitting you in the face. You're just like, wow, what is this? This is a this is a garage in a residential area. This is so crazy. There's no sign. And so people start coming and uh, we put up a landing page and every day, 20, 30 people come and we start doing classes. So, you know, five people in the darkness in the sauna sharing their fears or a couple's plunge where couples are holding each other's pulses, doing an eye gaze and kind of taking experiences from meditation retreats, psychedelic medicine retreats, uh, therapy, couples therapy, all these different modalities that connect you to your body and emotions and wrapping them in a way that makes them like cool and fun. So we would never be prescriptive like, hey, this thing's wrong with you, you need to work on it. It would be like, whoa, this is inspiring. Like I'm feeling gratitude. I'm feeling into my, my body. And, and that sort of was something that just kind of happened at, like all good startups, I guess, just kind of happened from being in the space with people and, and watching. And so, you know, during COVID, we had to close down, which was a bummer. And this is still a side project for me at, at the time. But we start doing breath, breath work online. And the breath work was one of the modalities we were using in the sauna, using with the ice bath. I had done the Wim Hof uh, course and I had been teaching breathwork for a while and so we just started offering it on Zoom and you know people are having anxiety at this point in time and so you're getting 30, 60, 100, 200 people joining and asking for recordings you know can you put something on YouTube for sleep or I'm worrying about my finances or I'm worried about my health and afraid of dying can you do something for that and so we start putting up recordings and just kind of put, bootstrap them on a, on a course platform And then it turns out that people like really like them and are paying for them. So we built a community of about a thousand paying customers and had probably 300 classes that we made, like scripted, made the audio, um, filmed all the videos. We kind of just did everything in house because we found it really fun. Friday night comes and, you know, instead of a dinner with wine, we would do breath work to electronic music. And that's how we would have a social (laughs) night. And We're like, well, this is crazy. Like it's such those these experiences create such a good... Positive vibe and environment to, to allow people to be vulnerable and share. So it's kind of they replace alcohol, and so you fast forward, and and now the combination of all these things started to give me an idea for a bigger vision. And so I quit Ethereum to do this full time, and we're now in the process of building our first like flagship physical space. And the idea is,
0: and where is that?
1: It's in Toronto. Uh, the idea is. Crazy sound system, light system, massive stove for essential oils. And so if you think of what you can program in that, imagine a yoga studio, but you can program the elements, the smells, the lights, sounds. And so now you have this thing, you allow facilitators like a container to really take people on a journey. And so half the time you'll come for classes, things that help people get into their body that aren't used to shutting down their mind. I feel amazing. And then when they feel amazing, there's no phones. And so they they are in this beautiful place to connect. There's also a fire pit because humans have talked around a fire for, you know, since the beginning of time with stadium seating around, similar to ancient Rome, where you'd have discourse in these like, you know, kind of beautiful bathhouses. The idea is there's classes to help you get into your emotions where you're guided. And then 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. it operates like a bar, you know, instead of going to a bar, you can come here. So if you're interested in psychedelic medicines and meditation and entrepreneurship and biohacking and all of these things and want to be healthy, but want to be social, this is the goal is to build like what I think is the first inspiring place for all those things and then to combine it with a mobile app. So we're also building a breathwork, you know, kind of a calm for breathwork. So a mobile app that, you know, you can have this physical space where you come with your friends and then your personal journey you can do at home. What we made special about our breathwork is just very fun, we found for many people that have struggled to onboard. This is like a turbo boost for for onboarding into mindfulness. And so I think these were the two things that really helped me like strong community daily practice. The goal is a healthy experiences company that helps you become happy and healthy with a group.
0: What a beautiful vision. This is pure human alchemy. Uh, as i as I listen to you, I would never want to leave <laughs> that environment. and so wow, that's uh, that's extraordinary. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to now move to. Your dark retreat. Tell us about what happened to you in the lead up to making a decision to go on this dark retreat. I want to talk about dopamine and really, you know, how that wreaks havoc with us, especially as first-time founders. To what you described earlier in terms of your journey, our, our dopamine is just going to be dialed right up. So, tell us about your experience and what you learned, and how that's catalyzing parts of your new venture.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot here. Also, um, okay, where to start? So, I think leading up every year, I try to take do some type of called a pilgrimage, and this was common, and you know, in, in cultures past. And the idea isn't a vacation. It's not like you go on vacation and give in to your urges. The idea is this like pilgrimage that's difficult, where you learn and sort of have a reset. And so, if you're thinking of like you want to break as a founder, the best way you can take a break is through restriction, because that's going to build your energy for when you come back. And so, it could be a Vipassana retreat. It could be some type of extreme sport. It could be, you know, a, a bit of time in nature. It could be a dark retreat. It could be psychedelic medicine retreat. There's all kinds of different things that reduce stimulation and then help you to build back your your energy, your creativity, your inspiration. And so I've tended to do one of these a year. Usually they're they're like kind of resilience challenges, as you mentioned, and they started based in like conquering fears. And now they've moved to just total relaxation resets. Uh, so when I come back, I feel empowered again. And this year particularly was challenging. A lot of habits that I have started to go out the window um, and they happen slowly. So it was like really difficult to pinpoint. So gyms close, right? So all of a sudden I'm not really exercising anymore because I don't personally like working out from home. So, you know, I, that that's kind of the first to go. The next thing, I'm starting to check Twitter all the time because we have a physical space. So I'm trying to like Okay, what's happening with COVID? I gotta solve this thing. Is there gonna be a vaccine? How dangerous is it? Are we closing? Are we not? What's going on with the city? And so I'm always on there. And you know, I start to develop this relationship where I'm just checking Twitter. And then I've start two businesses at the same time. So all of a sudden my email flow is doubling. And because everything's remote, you know, it's it's seven hours straight on Zoom. So there's no boundaries. I'm not eating properly. Then I'm because I'm working more, I'm drinking more coffee, you know, and then I'm drinking more coffee and there's so much stimulation at night, I don't have the willpower to eat healthy. So I'm now eating like Uber Eats. And you know, I'm having a like a burger, a big pizza before bed, which screws up my breathing, which screws up my sleep. So all these things work together because I'm too stressed and overstimulated. And so if you're an entrepreneur, no matter like I'm doing the thing that I absolutely love most days when I'm actually working, it's on something that I love doing at least like 40% of the time, some type of creation, being with people, talking about the vision, building, like I, lo- I, I couldn't do anything more than this that I loved more. And it still led to to burnout because it's just too much. And so there was no time that I was creating for myself. And and I know that this stuff is important. I have these habits. I've had a meditation habit for years. You know, I, I just mentioned all these other things. I have a wellness center in my backyard and it's still snuck up on me uh, because of these rapid changes due, due to COVID. And so I noticed I was just completely Overwhelmed where I would get up and just work on 15 tasks, but it became hard to go deep and focus. And so, yeah, I was, you know, moving things forward, sending out emails. But if I had to like read a paper, it was like putting it off. I had to build a complex financial model. I would put it off like the hard thing to do. And it was because I was too overstimulated. So I would, you know, if you're listening and you're like trying to watch a movie at night, but you're also on Twitter, like I, I on the way to the dark retreat, I actually missed one of the flights because I was in my email waiting at the wrong gate. And then I like noticed, I was like, oh my God. And so I went into the retreat at like 200 miles per hour. It's like driving a sports car, like an F1 on the track, like right into the wall, basically. And, and so that was the idea was like, hey, I, I, wanna, I wanna shut off. I wanna go on this pilgrimage. I wanna reset because things are getting too intense and I wanna build my, my power back. So that was kind of like setting the stage for how I got there.
0: So tell us about, you were there for eight days. So what were some of the themes that really surfaced for you or maybe even some of the feelings that you had to sit with? Describe some of those moments for us.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot. And so we can throw a, the article in the, you know, I wrote a pretty detailed blog post in the show notes because it's just, it's a very intense time is there's no way to, to turn off. So even in, in some of these other things like a Vipassana retreat, like you can open your eyes, you know, you're, you're, you're eating at some points. There's other people there in in the dark. It's almost claustrophobic at some points, especially in the start, like, like a vice on your, your head. Uh, and you, you can't turn it off. You know, you're, you're seeing one thing with your eyes open, you close your eyes, you're seeing the same thing. You turn your head, there's nowhere to, to hide. And so there's sort of a pervasive fear. So one of the, one of the learnings was, or one very interesting one that's, you know, is highly recommended is just dealing with fear and so, and how to repurpose. And this can be very powerful if you're running a company and you're thinking like, you know, as an entrepreneur is always like, if I feel good, glass is half full. If I wake up and had a bad sleep, glass might be half empty. And if glass is half empty in your mind, it's very difficult because you start thinking like, oh, what if this fails? And, you know, it's, it's tough. And so uh, how do you deal with those fears? Right. And so in, in the dark, subconsciously, you're always somewhat scared because you use your sight for, for safety. And so uh, when you wake up, you open your eyes. Okay, I'm, I'm safe. I know what my surroundings are. But in the darkness, like you're, you know, you're walking to the bathroom in the small room, you're walking to get your food out of the cubby where they put it through. You're eating in the complete darkness. Like you can't see, you know, nothing's going to grab you consciously, but subconsciously it's like, I, I need to be alert. I might be in danger. And when you wake up, it's like immediately panicking. Like I'm stuck in this place. Can I breathe? There's nothing here. And so you would have to use your breathing to calm down. And so you can realize how you can use your breath to move into parasympathetic state when you're stressed. And so stress is just a sensation, emotion. When it's coming up, you can actually breathe long, slow exhales deep into the bottom of the lungs and completely change your state. And then when you're changing your state, an exercise they taught me was sort of like, breathe, breathe, relax, relax, relax. You're relaxing your body for, for minutes on end. And then in your thought process, starting to inject feelings. And so it could be bravery, gratitude, some type of feeling you want to cultivate that you felt before. So maybe you remember when you like helped that person, you know, when you passed that test, when you did that hard thing and, and what it felt like. And through that practice and, and doing it probably thousands of times over the eight days, you just learn that you can change your state at will at any time. And when you know that, when fear comes up and you identify it, you can use that to change state. So that was like a really powerful tool that I kind of learned there, practiced, and that is now uh, in my life.
0: Wow. You completely rewired and re-anchored your relationship with fear. And that seems to be a common theme throughout your life. And then you, you, you tap into those feelings and those experiences when you're back in the real world. And no doubt that gives you a tremendous amount of strength and helps you really empower others. I loved reading your blog post. It was very detailed. I almost felt like I was there. I was laughing out loud. I was crying. You have an extraordinary way with words. So that's a true gift. I would encourage everybody to read read that post. Um, something that you wrote that I'm really curious to understand more about, you wrote, leadership is the antidote for external validation talk to us
1: more about this. Yeah. And so I I had mentioned, um, external validation as being something I was always craving. Right. And it was from, you know, in grade two, putting my hand up, I know the right answer to like competing, to go to the best business school, to wanting to, you know, have girls like me and, and have nice things to wanting to have material things to prove I was successful to like wanting to build a successful company. Like this is a result of lack of, of self love. And that was like my core wound, which led to drug use and all kinds of stuff in which I've like had to heal over time. And so this this external validation, to me, the antidote is, is real leadership. And so when you stop focusing on the external, and focus on the internal, you actually find, you know, and it can be through self love. But to me, self love comes from helping others. And so leadership is like what I what I really was getting at when I was thinking about that, it was just our, our team. And we've empowered hundreds of people this year, and we're just getting started, but to, to change their life. And like, what does that actually feel like, right? It's setting this like really good example of like being sober, doing these practices, like building this thing. I had one of my best friends and I was become one of my best friends struggling with addiction and has been sober for a year. And he called me on Christmas saying like, Hey man, you, you know, you changed my life without you in the inward community. This was the first time I've been able to be, be sober. And so it's like, what did that feel like? inside. And so it kind of is this idea of, okay, if you're a leader and instilling these practices, that's enough. Like, you know, deep down you're acting with integrity and then you no longer need external validation. It just comes from, you know, having these values and and following them, I think implementing them. Uh, And so it was just a reminder to me that all this stuff, like sometimes I get, even with this business, like, okay, I want it to be successful. I want to build X amount of units. And it starts to feel graspy. Versus focusing on just the the customer, you know, these people who become my friends, helping them, being in there with them, listening to them, being a a leader, being an example. When I do that, I'm not worried about the external validation of like, is this a VC funded thing? Is it going to make a ton of money? Blah, blah, blah. These, you know, kind of external things. They don't matter because I'm just kind of being a leader to my community. And that feeling, I think, can get me through anything.
0: Self-love is serving others. I love that. It's so powerful and so true. So as we wrap up here, uh, you have so much to share in so many ways. And I know this is going to be a hard question for you, but what, what is the one advice that you would give to aspiring first-time founders? Like what would be that first step that you would empower them as they embark on their journeys?
1: Yeah, I would think just based on my experience, what comes home the most is like pick the thing that inspires you. So think about the customer when you're building and like, do you care about them? And if the solution you're providing them, like, does that excite you? So, and it doesn't have to be complex. Like we're not really even building any tech in this product. It's just like, what excites me? It's like, I think about a breathwork idea I record it and then put it out and see someone listening to it. You know, we did one, a couple's one where there's some eye gazing and breathing together. And like that makes me happy. And so, simple idea this makes me happy. Like, does your customer and the problem you're solving inspire you? And if not, if it doesn't make you happy, does it at least inspire you that you want to solve this problem? And I think that's the number one thing. If you don't have that with what you're doing, it's going to be really hard. When things go wrong or you know when you need to to give up something so i think really search for that you care about your your customer
0: beautiful you're an avid reader and listener of podcasts for that first time founder what would be the one or two must read books and uh who would you recommend that we listen to
1: I think the highest quality podcast out there right now is the first round, uh, podcast from uh, first round ventures. It's just interviews with founders about building their companies and they really don't shy away. Like instead of these like 50,000 foot, it's, it's detailed tactics. Like how do I hire? How do I raise funds? How do I create community? What went wrong? Like people go super deep. And so every single interview I've heard there, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I need to I need to store that for, you know, this particular situation. So that's, that's the highest quality, um, entrepreneurship podcast. I think that, that I enjoy.
0: And any books?
1: Hmm. So for books, one that I come back to, it's pretty simple. It's recommended quite a bit. It's just this book. Stillness is the key. And it's by Ryan Holiday. And and why I like it, it's just a reminder about all the different reasons stillness is important. And this is one I personally struggle with. As I mentioned before, I have problems recycling dopamine in my brain. I have ADHD. I get really interested in stimulation so I can work 16 hours a day. I love like getting going. And so it becomes hard to find stillness. And so every time I read, it just reminds me how important, like going for a walk, my meditation practice, being in the ice bath, these different things. And so it's something that I'll read uh, once a year, nothing, you know, groundbreaking in it, but just an amazing collection of different practices around finding stillness.
0: Robbie, you are so alive and living an extraordinary human experience. How you've managed to squeeze every moment out of life with a level of self-awareness and commitment to doing the work is truly inspiring. You've learned how to harness your own energy and the infinite energy of the universe. Um, and as a result, you're channeling all of this into areas that are creating so much positive impact to so many that are embarking on their inner journeys. So for that, really, thank you. And as I was preparing for our interview, what kept whirling around in my mind and is actually one of my favourite quotes, but I never actually knew who wrote it. So thank you for actually catalyzing me to go and search for this. And it's a poem written by Douglas Malach called Good Timber. And I'm not going to read the whole poem, but there's one section that to me you embody, and that is good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the tree. The further sky, the greater length. The more the storm, the more the strength. By sun and cold, by rain and snow, in trees and humans, good timbers grow thank you so much for being you, for showing up, for doing the work. And I can speak on behalf of all of us. We cannot wait to immerse ourselves into the new experience that you're bringing to the world. So thank you.
1: Beautiful, beautiful quote. Uh, Yeah, really nice one. I think a lot of people out there are afraid to fail and and talk about failure. And so it's really nice, especially for second-time founders, uh, to let people know like failure is not something to be afraid of and it's not durable, right? Like you might fail once, twice, three times, but eventually you'll be successful if you keep at it. So that quote really embodies that. It's just, you know, that's actually part of the norm versus the other way around.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our episode. We'll come back with more inspirational stories Friday night bi-weekly wherever you find your podcast. And if you feel inspired and want to connect more with our founders, please follow us, Second Time Founders, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you, and we will see you all in the next episode.